Hey guys, welcome and thanks for tuning in. My name is Richard Osborne and this is the Expert Language Trainer Podcast. Hey everybody, it's Richard Osborne and the Expert Language Trainer Podcast, which is a really quick mini episode um, inspired by something that I saw on Tamara Parsons group on Facebook again, the ELT training group, um, five days back to school challenge. Um, she was saying that in the video, I think it was yesterday, that um, she had set everybody in her group a challenge to talk about their worst lesson. And um, there was there was very little response, I think zero response from people because people were embarrassed to talk about their worst lessons. So I thought, well, you know, I could think of my worst lessons. I've got some in my head already. I could just think of three off the top of my head. So I thought, you know, I'll give you three and then that'll balance it out. That'll help balance it out a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I'll go from just very quickly from the third worst lesson to the worst, worst lesson and say, you know, what I learned from, from each of those experiences, which I think was Tamara's point, And I think is a really good point that you should actually think about your bad lessons to learn from them and to, to know, because, you know, we learn much more from failure than we do from success. Um, you know, failure tells you a ton. Success doesn't tell you anything very often. Uh, or you think success is telling you something, but it actually isn't. And the little mini failures within your success would actually help you to learn if you were to look for them. Anyway, let's go from number three of my worst lessons ever in eight years of teaching adults in Paris, uh, you know, six hours a day. I had plenty of experiences that were good and bad. Um, this one was just a, a one that was quite a, you know, the, it's one of those uh, silly mistakes that you make as a teacher um, that there's not really much you can do about. And you can learn a little bit from it, I suppose. <laughs> Um, it was teaching a class of job seekers. I used to teach a lot of job seekers and they were at pre-intermediate level, this class. There was maybe six or eight people and we were doing a CV writing class. And this is one of those things where I had done so many CV writing classes in my eight years because I did job seekers every week. Um, that just, you know, you get to the point where you've taught the same thing over and over again so many times that you just you almost can't bear it anymore. And there is, I remember a certain point with a lot of things where you knew that if you start exposing them to the present perfect for the first time, that this, they'll have this reaction and then you'll tell them this thing and it'll make them have this realization that then you'll tell them this thing and then they'll understand it. And you just knew. And so when they're having their reaction, they're like, oh, you're trying to keep a straight face and be like, yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Like instead, you know, when inside you're thinking, for God's sake, could you not have just realized that from the beginning? You know, I've taught this to a thousand people. Why can't you just get it from the beginning? And so, yeah, you have this kind of frustration. Like maybe I'm a very impatient person, I guess, as well. But um, so in this class, CV writing, we were doing something that I just, you know, drove me mad because it was every time the same thing. They would, you know, we would get to the point of writing, um, it wasn't CVs, it was cover letters. It was cover letters. And we would get to, you know, the different paragraphs and say, okay, you have to talk about your history. You have to talk about your work experience. Um, and then you have to give a brief um, description of why you would be beneficial, why it would be a good thing for, to hire you for this company. And so use some, you know, descriptives about yourself, things that are, um, you know, unique about you and that would make you a good member of the team. And so it always, you know, you would tell them, okay, think of some adjectives that you would write on your cover letter. And it would always be the same. It would always be team player, hardworking, reliable, um, innovative, creative, stuff like that. And I would always get them to go through that and then say, right, do you think that these are really words that are, 
you know, which of these words would you really conserve? Which of them would you chuck out? Because they're not really very unique. They're not saying to the employer something that's added value that none of, you know, all of the other candidates will say that they're hardworking. Of course, you know, you're not going to get a candidate saying, oh, I'm actually a little bit lazy. And, you know, it's a, when you ask them to write the, you know, you're supposed to talk about strengths and weaknesses when you're doing job interview practice. And you're like, you know, when you say a weakness, you should say something that's kind of discreetly positive. And they're like, oh, I'm a perfectionist. And, you know, those cliches that nobody wants to hear. So I'm I try to stamp them out as much as possible and say, look, this is really not what I think you should write. You should be writing something unique about yourself. And I would try to give them more adjectives anyway. At this particular particular class, somewhere near the end of my career, when I was getting a bit tired of it all, uh, we went down the road of talking about these adjectives and, you know, they brought out the adjectives and I was feeling particularly um, impatient that day, I think. And I just dropped the truth bomb instead of waiting for them to discover it on their own. I was like, listen, guys, writing things like reliable and innovative and hardworking. I was like, my granny is reliable and innovative and hardworking, but you know, you're, are you going to try to outcompete my granny for your job? Like, you know, this is like, you should be writing things of why you in particular are good for this job. Any monkey in the world is reliable and hardworking. None of them are going to say that they're lazy. You're not giving any extra information to the employer. You're just wasting space. So I was particularly harsh about it. One of the students took particular offense at that. I have a feeling that she was very much a believer of the hardworking and reliable camp of, you know, we should be talking about these things in interviews. And so she came out very clearly with, no, I don't agree with that. I think that's really good to write that. I write that on my cover letter and I think it's really good. And I don't think you're right. And I'd be like, yeah, but I am right. <laughs> so <laughs> I can laugh about it now. At the time, the student didn't find it very funny. Uh, and she went into a huff for the rest of the class. She made sure that the atmosphere of the class was very negative for the rest of the class. And at the end, she didn't participate in any activities, purposefully, like really ignoring me, giving me like a, the, the stink guy for the whole class. And at the end, came up to me and said, I didn't appreciate the way you talked to me. You made me feel like a fool. You made me look stupid. And um, I'm really annoyed. And I'm going to go to the boss and tell her that I never want to have a lesson with you ever again. And I guess I look back on it at the time. I thought, yeah, but I understand where you're coming from, but I'm right. Um, and I think I can't remember what I said to her at the time. I said something like, you know, I, I'm quite empathic. So I was like, I'm really sorry if I made you feel stupid. I didn't intend to do that at all. I was just trying to make a point about CVs that I feel is really important. But um, I didn't want to make you feel bad. I'm sorry about that. So she still went to the boss and told the boss um, that I was a, a horrible teacher and she never wanted to see me again. And so I never got put on that group ever again. Um, but yeah, looking back, I, I guess you realize that it's a, it's a it's something I've learned since in terms of publishing stuff on social media. Certainly, um, there's a big difference between saying you should based on your experience. So saying you shouldn't write that on your CV, or saying which is the same thing essentially. In my experience as an employer, because I was employing teachers at that time for the school, in my experience as an employer, people who write reliable or hardworking, I'm automatically suspicious because I think that these are so cliche that they don't have anything else to say. That would have been a much better example because that would have been something personal to me. So it would be, they could have debated about it with their own opinion, but they can't deny the evidence that's in front of them that they're sitting in front of someone who is actually an employer who's telling them their experience of receiving cover letters with reliable and hardworking on it. So there's a big difference between trying to tell people what they should do and just telling them about your experience, which implies what they should do, obviously, because if they, you know, if they have the evidence right in front of them, it would be silly to deny it. But 
Um, that's that's the big difference that I was missing there. And so in, in future classes, it was much more about sharing my own experience than forcing my opinion on people. The second worst class ever was um, earlier on in my career when I was still, I was just getting out of the phase, you know, first, second year, I was just getting out of the phase of CELTA lesson planning, making everything very orderly, using the book that they'd been given, the student book, which I think was business results at that time, a very boring book, if you've ever used it. And um, I was just, you know, I had this group of intercompany people, four people, quite young, about my age, you know, young, reasonably cool, professional people. Um, and I was starting to push the boat out a little bit with certain groups and try to see how far I could push the limits of going outside of the plan and and doing a bit more conversational classes, being a bit more friendly, um, getting more personal information from them, bringing personal stories into it. I was starting to get that feeling, as we all do, that there needs to be more meaningfulness to this language. I can't just talk about business all the time. Bringing their own personal experiences into it is going to make this language practice more meaningful and I think more powerful in terms of memories. So we all have that feeling at a certain point. And you know, this was my early experimentation with it. So this is a lesson about experimenting. Um, so I was doing classes. I did several classes with them from the middle to the end of the course. So I'd say maybe five or six classes with them towards the end where I really didn't, like I didn't even touch on the book purposefully. And I was thinking, I was picturing myself in my head, like seeing myself teach. I was seeing myself be like the cool teacher who's like, hey guys, like forget about the book. Let's just chat, you know, uh, let's watch a film on YouTube and then talk about it. And, you know, that is the basis of a good teaching approach when later on it's well-developed and you know how to, properly take advantage of a YouTube video and design questions that are targeting a particular language point or skill point or whatever to help them in a, in a practical and realistic way. Um, but I was still getting there. So they saw this as quite disorganized teaching. They saw this as a teacher who'd kind of lost it a little bit. Um, but because in French culture, it's not quite common to criticize someone directly to their face. It's much more common to criticize someone indirectly, so via message, email, uh, feedback form, or telling their superiors. Um, they didn't tell me anything about what I was doing that they didn't like, and so I just kept going with this way of teaching until uh, the end of the course when, thinking everything was fine, my boss came into me at one point and was like, I just got the worst feedback from all four members of this group. You have to have a look at it. And so they'd written these really bad reports of how it was very impractical. The teacher just chatted all the time. It was more about the teacher talking than us talking. We didn't learn anything. Um, he didn't use the book that we paid for. You know, the the student book that has been paid for on the course wasn't used properly. And so, yeah, we don't want to have that teacher ever again. Again, another, <laughs> another example. Um, where actually, when I look back, I was I was annoyed at that point because, you know, my, my complaint to the boss was, oh, but why didn't they tell me? Why didn't they tell me? And... Um, I think as a, you know, one, one, another good lesson for life is if you always blame yourself for your mistakes, then you'll go far. Because if I just said, right, there must have been something I could have done better. Thinking about it then later on, of course, um, I didn't have to wait until my boss gave them a survey. If I was experimenting and I knew I was experimenting, there's obviously a chance that something could be going wrong. Even if you feel that something isn't going wrong and they seem to be giving you good vibes, it's worth giving them an actual written survey, for example, after one or two lessons of this experimental approach that you're trying out, where you're branching out a little bit, pushing the boat out, give them a, your own survey 
uh, non-verbally, like I said, that French people wouldn't, if I had said to them, is everything okay? They would have been like, oh yeah, fine, fine, fine. And then, you know, criticized me in, in writing afterwards. I would have given them a piece of paper saying, listen, here's like, you know, what do you like? What do you not like? What can I do better? You know, on a scale of one to 10, that's always a good thing. Um, you know, mark where you think we are in terms of materials, in terms of pedagogy, in terms of what you're learning and give me some, you know, feedback underneath, like, you know, write some notes about uh, what, what, you, what you feel about it. Give that to them, send them away with that. And I probably could have then preempted that problem and spent, you know, the last four out of the six classes not deviating so much from the book and actually maybe mixing both of those things together. So I could have avoided that um, very end, of course, negative feedback if I had actually taken the responsibility for um, checking, stopping and checking. That's always a good thing to do, stop and check. Yeah. Um, another thing I could have done would have been to, during certain parts of that class, maybe say, listen, are you guys okay with what we're doing or would you like to do something else? And give them the opportunity to actually tell me, I think early on in a teaching career, you're a bit scared that if you let the learners decide where they should go, you're not going to be able to deliver a coherent lesson or a successful lesson because you're going to have to think on your feet and you feel like maybe I'm not experienced enough to to pull a lesson out of my sleeve and just have um, something you know ready to deliver if they say, oh, I would actually really like to study this part of the book, which is about present perfect, and you haven't prepared anything to just be able to look at that page and be like, right, let's go. We're going to do a, a one-hour lesson on this. Um, that's a bit scary, I think, for a beginning teacher. So um, it's not easy to, to have faith. And in fact, I, th I've, I know teachers from when I was teaching who I would see in observation sticking rigorously to the plan from fear of letting it go anywhere off the plan or letting the learners try to take it off plan or reacting to some new language that came out of the class by making that a sort of mini lesson within the class, you know, you could see that there were opportunities they were passing up on because they were scared of um, being made to look foolish, maybe because their lesson wouldn't be well planned or wouldn't be well executed because it would be spontaneous. Um, so I, I think for me, spontaneity is something that you should really aim to develop in your professional development. I know I'm saying should again, but I know in my experience, sounds better, right? Eh? Uh, that had I tried to develop that spontaneity early on and actually asked this class, for example, do you want to do something else? Then, you know, I might have been able to avoid, because I just stuck to the plan. When I, even when I was doing these videos and stuff, and sometimes I saw that they weren't reacting as, you know, as much as usual, I, you know, I was just sticking to the plan because I was worried if I go off it, I don't have any materials. What am I going to do? I don't have any photocopies. How am I going to finish the class? I better just stick to the plan, you know? And I think that was one thing that sunk me a little bit with that group. So that brings me to number one, the worst lesson ever. <laughs> the Probably the shortest course I had with someone ever when they were there for just one lesson for one hour. Um, it was a beginner and it was somebody who had already had lessons with other teachers and he was not doing well. The other teachers weren't able to get him to talk. He was, you know, it was like bleeding a rock. Um, he would just speak French all the time. He wouldn't speak English. It was an English class. And um, in the end, they said, this was maybe middle of my career, okay, we need to bring out the big guns. Let's get Richard to go in there. He's a really good teacher. So I guess I went in there with a big head, definitely. I went in there thinking, oh, yeah, I've been selected as the, you know, Judge Dredd type, you know, send him in and that'll sort the problem out. Um, superhero teacher. <laughs> and so I went in and um, I can't, I do not remember how it happened, but, you know, at the end of this, this was the joke for the rest of the year of the 
uh, whole school. Uh, anytime we ever got together and had a drink, it was, oh, do you remember that time that Richard did that class? And yeah, because of the content of it. And, you know, maybe I shouldn't have shared the content with my colleagues because that was where the joke came from. But anyway, um, so I went in with this you know, big head thinking I'm the best. I'm going to get this guy to talk. And there's nothing's going to stop me. And of course, we know that in those kind of situations, when it's somebody a bit stuffy and a bit uh, stuck up, you can often, by being a bit weird and a bit kooky, a bit eccentric, you can often get them to open up just because they see something so unusual that their own problems and self-esteem issues and confidence issues kind of melt away. And they can get into it just by being like, huh, what the hell? What is this guy talking about? This is weird. Um, so I went in and I don't know how we got onto it. I think I just started like feeling it out and just seeing what does he already know and let's try to like run with it. And as I ran with it, I ended up, when my colleague walked past and saw what I was doing through the window, and I think that was why they, they all knew what I was doing, um, I was drawing a pirate boat on the board and a stick man pirate. And I was telling him some story about pirates of the, yeah, it was pirates of the Caribbean. I remember. It all comes back to me. Um, I was trying to explain to him pirates of the Caribbean because he had said that he watched a film that weekend and it was uh, Pirate de la Caribe. And I said, okay, that's pirates of the Caribbean. He was like, oh, what's that? And I tried to show him it on the board just by doing this insane uh, rendition in you know black and red pen on the on the whiteboard of what the story of Pirates of the Caribbean was to try to explain to him this is what I'm talking about is this the movie you watched is this, and um, by the end of the one hour lesson he uh, shook my hand smiled went out of the classroom ran over to the reception said that teacher is terrifying I think the word he used was terrifying I don't ever want to have him again went into the boss said the exact same thing your teacher is terrifying. I don't ever want to have them again. So that was not seen very well. But then when I told them the story of what I had taught them, it was so funny. I think they couldn't even really hold it against me. Uh, so yeah, that was the lesson you learned there, I suppose. Is, um, you can be weird and you can be eccentric, but there's, there's pushing someone just outside their comfort zone to get them to speak when they can't get over their self-esteem issues. And then there's going just too far and pushing them so far out of their comfort zone that, you know, if we talk about Stephen Krashen's theories on effective filter, like you can, you know, if you're too stressed or you're too anxious, you can put up a filter that stops you from language um, practice and acquisition. Uh, you know, definitely I pushed him way too far. It, there, there was a point I must have seen on his face where he was just completely baffled. And I thought, this is good. I'm getting him to the point where he's going to be so baffled he'll speak. But actually, he was just baffled. <laughs> and he was scared. And he didn't know what this crazy person in front of him was doing. And yeah, the lesson to learn is to try to, again, it's like the second one, to try to be a bit more conscious of what the learners are feeling about what you're doing and to not be afraid to stop and check, even if it means that you might have to iterate and you won't have the prepared solution for that iteration that you would just have to spontaneously develop something. It might actually be better that you spontaneously develop something that's not well-prepared and it's a bit DIY than sticking rigorously to a plan that you know is failing, whether you feel is maybe failing and they're not telling you about it. But you can see there's a different reaction than usual. So, um, you know, definitely I could have saved that class, I'm sure, just by, um, you know, maybe stopping the pirate story i don't know and like trying something a bit more standard you know opening the book and doing a sentence about his family and his mother and his brother or sister or something you know that could have maybe gone a little bit better or just pulling out my computer and just showing him here's pirates of the caribbean there's a picture on my computer maybe not drawing a pirate boat and a island and a you know johnny depp character on the board that was maybe a little bit too far anyway so there's my three anecdotes 
three worst classes ever. I challenge you to beat those three classes because they're pretty bad. Um, and yeah, I hope you hope you learned something from it. And uh, thanks for all the the videos tomorrow. I hope we get. I hope I get more inspiration tomorrow. See you later.